folks, welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa channel, part of the Indaba Broadcasting Network. Today is the 16th of June. It's a Wednesday, middle of the week. It's hump day all around the world, folks. Welcome back to Chris White Africa. A little snafu there with uh, the camera. I'm still having an issue with the software, why it wants to play games. But here we are. Welcome back. 16 June of 2021. It's time for Indaba Africa News of the Day. Let's go through the headlines first. And once we're through the headlines, I'll give you some in-depth news analysis on these topics. Police in Northwest Province have discovered 20 decomposing bodies in Orkney. Purportedly, these are the bodies of illegal miners in Northwest Province. There's a diamond rush afoot in KZN, KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, as miners rush out to seek their bonanza with the discovery of diamonds. Or are they diamonds? After raking in $5.6 billion in soft loans from the African Development Bank, the New Bank, New Bricks Bank, and the International Monetary Fund in July and August of 2020, $5.6 billion, President Cyril Ramaphosa has the audacity to push the G7 and its liberal guilt into more handouts for countries that steal, loot, and plunder money handed over to them freely. Liberal guilt. Always play that card. President Ramaphosa says that South Africa cannot afford its bankrupt macroeconomic policies. Now, he didn't actually say that, but we'll talk about specifically what he means in his comments. Julius Malema, the leader of the Economic Freedom Front Fighters, or Economic Freedom Fighters, yeah, the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF, Julius Malema, Juju, is calling out racism in South Africa. Well, bravo for you. Uh, for Before you get too far down that road accusing others of racism, take a moment and look in the mirror there, Juju. Ramaphosa correctly states that the ANC's Bantu education system is no education at all. Well, he's not talking about ANC education. He's talking about education, Bantu education under apartheid. It was no education at all. But we can easily apply the same title to the pathetic state of education in post-apartheid ANC South Africa. South African media and its weird obsession over the death of Lindani Mieni in Honolulu, while ignoring the assassination of Nico Tswart, pervasive farm murders, and the murders of 60 South Africans each and every day. South African media is obsessing over this case of a man shot by Honolulu police. And more African National Congress purported corruption alleged in KZN. Namibian hysteria spikes with additional lockdown restraints imposed by SWAPO. And the United States has blacklisted two former minister officials in, South, in Namibia from SWAPO over their involvement in the fish rot scandal and corruption. Botswana has reimposed its poultry ban import from products in South Africa. And Deb Squana discovers the third largest diamond ever. The 1,098 carat diamond was just produced in Botswana and is the third largest after the Cullinan diamond, which of course is the largest ever found in South Africa, not far from Pretoria at the turn of the 20th century. And another uh, diamond discovered in Botswana just a couple of years ago. This is the third largest diamond ever discovered, 1,098 carats. Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abe says that their elections will move forward on the 21st of June. And Gloria Majiga Kamoto's anti-plastic crusade in Malawi. We'll talk about that. Ugandan military court has released 18 opposition supporters of support, opposition candidate Bobby Wine, who've been detained since January. Kenya plans to reopen its embassy in Mogadishu in a dramatic, dramatic development in Kenya. And the World Rugby Sevens Ray Paj tournament 
will take place in just a matter of days, starting two days from today, to identify the final three positions for men and women's Olympic Sevens Tournament. And there you have it, folks. Those are the headlines for today, the 16th of June, 2020. Let's get to in-depth news and analysis very quickly here in this abbreviated version of Indaba African News of the Day. Police in Northwest Province have come across 20 decomposing bodies. Now, this is an interesting story in that they're purportedly illegal miners who are mining and ostensibly died in a cave-in. But one of the problems with this is that some of the bodies were wrapped in plastic sheets, indicating someone did something with these bodies after whatever tragedy or incident befell them. Cops probe discovery of 20 decomposed bodies at two different locations in Orkney. Police in Northwest have opened inquest dockets after the bodies of 20 unidentified decomposing bodies were discovered over two days. The bodies, all identified as male, were discovered on Monday and Tuesday at two different locations in Orkney, just outside Clarkstorp. Provincial police stated in the first incident, five decomposed bodies were found at 7 p.m. Monday outside an old, unused mine shaft ventilation in Lawrence Park, Orkney. On Tuesday, a further 15 more decomposed bodies were found alongside Ariston Road near the railway line in Orkney. In a statement released on Wednesday, police said all the deceased are suspected to be illegal miners, commonly known in the area as Zama Zamas, who operate in obsolete shafts in the Orkney and Stillfontaine areas. Said it was evident that the deceased suffered severe body burns as the investigation of the death of 20 men proceeds. Post-mortems will be conducted to determine the cause of death for those whose bodies were found to be wrapped in white plastic bags. Police said there's a possibility of linking the matter to with a video that was circulating social media where a man who calls himself Mafifi can be seen pleading for assistance after an apparent smoke inhalation incident that allegedly occurred at shaft number six. If you have any information, you can contact the SAPS and Colonel Khan Kakoma at 082-568-5975. 082-568-5975. For anonymous tips, if anyone knows anything about this incident, 20 bodies in Northwest. Illegal mining is a problem. It's a scourge. And speaking of illegal mining, we're going to talk about diamonds discovered in KZ in just a moment. But they've opened this investigation into the situation. The white plastic bags is what I find interesting. Who is wrapping these people in white plastic bags and why wasn't this incident reported to authorities? We'll find out about that. It's a diamond rush, ladies and gentlemen, in KZN. Woo! Get your pickaxes, get in your bakis, and head on down to KZN to find your share of the diamond bonanza. Or is it? <laughs> Geological experts uh, don't say that it's impossible there's diamonds in this location, but they say it's highly improbable, and I would agree with them, but not impossible. Diamond Rush grips South African village after discovery of unidentified stones. More than 1,000 fortune seekers of money flocked to the village of Kualathi in KZN in search of what they believe to be diamonds after the discovery of unidentified stones in the area. They traveled from across South Africa to join villagers who have been digging since Saturday after a herdman dug up the first stone in an open field, which some believe to be quartz. Hmm, discovery was a life changer, said one digger, Mendo Sabelo as he held a handful of tiny stones. This means our lives will change because no one had a proper job. I do odd jobs. When I returned home with them, my family was overjoyed, said the 27-year-old father too. Unemployed, Sukumbuzo Mbele concluded, concurred, adding, I haven't seen or touched a diamond in my life. It's my first time touching it here. The mines department said on Monday it was sending a team comprised of geological and mining experts to the site to collect samples and conduct an analysis. The lack of analysis has not deterred the fortune seekers as long lines of parked cars on both sides of the gravel road could be seen just a few meters from the open field. This story has made it all across the world. Here it is in the New York Post in the U.S. Look at all those people out there, fortune seekers flooding that field. A thousand people have raced to a South African village seeking their fortune 
in the soil. This is a diamond rush, though whether there are actually any diamonds here is yet to be revealed. The influx comes after the discovery of unidentified stones in Kwahlati outside Ladysmith in KwaZulu-Natal province. For diggers like Skumbuzo Mbele, it could be a life-changing moment. I hadn't seen or touched a diamond in my life. It's my first time touching it here. I hope this will make a difference at home because we're really struggling. So I hope things will get better. Some believe the stones are quartz crystals. South Africa's Mines Ministry said it was sending a team of geologists and mining experts and that a formal technical report will be issued in due course. But a lack of clarity around identification of the stones is not deterring some people from selling them. Don't look like diamonds to me. Indeed, they look like quartz to me. But then I'm not there. I'm not testing them. But they, they really don't bear much resemblance to uh, hard diamonds that are found in the rough. They look much more like quartz, which tends to be cleaner like that. Uh, when you dig it up. We'll see. That's the first thing. Second thing is, who owns this land? Does it belong to the municipality? Does it belong to the province? Does it belong to the federal government? Does it belong to a private landowner? Wow. But you know what? Let's not pick on people who are seeking fortune in South Africa because this is what happens the world over. When someone discovers gold or silver or something like that, there's typically a rush of fortune seekers who violate property rights and invade and destroy land and people are dispossessed as a consequence of it. But it is an interesting story nonetheless, as you can see how desperate South Africans are for any money, any money whatsoever, because of the capricious, illogical, failed macroeconomic policies of the African National Congress. South Africans are literally starving to death and hungry for any source of hope. And this diamond rush in KZN is the latest evidence of just how hungry people are for something other than the ANC and its poor governance. We have some photos of that event. This is from Newscom. Uh, this is an Australian site. You can see fortune hunters there. That almost looks like a diorama, that picture there of, of a Sanawana. But they're selling them for a song, 100, 300 Rand, whatever they find. If they were actually diamonds, they're worth a heck of a lot more than that. Look at all the holes they've already dug. This, this land is destroyed. <laughs> Millions of years that land has been there, and it just takes three days of fortune hunters to destroy it. All by hand, not even heavy equipment involved here. Pickaxes and shovels. Experts do not rule out the possibility of their genuine diamonds, although they consider the highly unlikely that situation. And there you have it, folks. That's the diamond rush in South Africa that's taking place. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa is pushing the G7 nations to um, assuage their liberal guilt and hand out more gifts to the developing world. Now, of course, South Africa's country, then July and August of last year, got $5.6 billion in soft loans from the African Development Bank, the new BRICS Bank, the New Development Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. $5.6 billion, billion, billion dollars, 90 billion rand. Where's that money? What'd you spend that on, Cyril? And for the idiots that run our countries in the developed world who have a pang of liberal guilt, why don't you wake up to the reality that this country's been handed one thing after another and they squandered it through their corruption, their ineptness, and their patronage networks. But Ramaphosa is trying to guilt the world into giving more money in the pandemic. South Africa President Ramaphosa urged a group of seven countries to help finance the World Health Organization's program to boost testing, diagnostics, and vaccines. Ramaphosa, who has joined a summit of the Club of the Rich Democracies in England and addressed them on Saturday, said the G7, which together account for more than half of global output, should support access to Tools Accelerator to plug the $16.8 billion funding gap for this year. We need to address the substantial financing gap for tests, treatments, 
critical supplies like oxygen and health systems enable testing, treatment, and vaccination. Well, I agree, Cyril Ramaphosa. And you've had 18 months to sort this out in South Africa. Why haven't you? Africa's had 18 months to sort this out. Debt relief. The IMF and World Bank have forgiven billions of dollars of debt since February of last year for African nations. They've also doled out billions of dollars in loans, soft loans to African nations, including South Africa. Where is that money at? Where has it gone? What have you done? How about you start administering your own country and actually taxing your citizens for their consumption and for their production instead of relying on a handful of people who actually pay taxes and then begging for handouts? It is incredibly embarrassing. If I was a South African, I would be embarrassed to no end that my president begs the world stage for money. The most industrialized country in Africa begging for money. It's, it's sad. It's pathetic. And it's unnecessary. Quit stealing and looting and then you won't need money. You won't need any money from anybody. You've got plenty of money. If all G7 countries met their fair share target, this initiative would be two-thirds funded and it would be 90% funded if all G7 made their fair share contributions, Ramaphosa says. Well, excuse me, Cyril Ramaphosa, what is a fair share and who the hell are you to tell me what my fair share is to cover your theft and looting? Would you mind sharing that with us, please? I'd like to know what my fair share of your theft in the ANC is. Because I'm tired of subsidizing the corrupt, inept, venal, race-based legislation of South Africa. I'm sick of it. Run your country properly. Stop your race mercantilism. And stop pilfering from South Africans and then squandering money we gave you. Youth Day. This is something no country can afford, Ramaphosa, on youth unemployment. Well, indeed it is. If you'd stop squelching entrepreneurialism, stopping foreign direct investment with your racist legislation, preventing Starlink from doing business and delivering low-cost, high-speed internet to poor rural South Africans, gee, I thought this was all about making things right for the historically disadvantaged, yet your corrupt cadres want their share. That's what matters, your share, what you can steal from everyone else. 63% of people between the age of 15 and 24 are unemployed. Well, I would hope so. 15 to 18 ought to be in school, in secondary school. Shouldn't be part of the unemployment statistics. 19 to 24 is more realistic. 41% between the age of 25 and 34 unemployed. On this day, 45 years ago, school pupils protest against the mandatory use of Afrikaans as a medium of instruction in their schools. However, the protests quickly turned violent when the apartheid government's police responded with live ammunition, leaving many school children dead. That is not an entirely accurate narrative of what happened then. Yes, many school children did die. But so did many agitators who were there fomenting the chaos. Rob opposes being at Youth Day in Peter Maritzburg. This is the year of Charlotte Macheke, growing youth employment for an inclusive and transformed society. Well, you're not going to grow any employment in South Africa if you continue to run macroeconomic policies that make no sense economically. Julius Balema, the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, has spoken out against racism today, the 16th of June, 2021, on Youth Day. Well said, Julius. We appreciate your position against racism. Racism is, is, is abhorrent, and those who practice it should be called out. So let's call out Julius Malema. EFF leader Julius Malema has decried racist incidents that have sparked controversy at various schools in the country. EFF took its Youth Day commemoration event to her school, Eitzig, in Centurion, in Schwana yesterday. The school outraged the party after a student was allegedly manhandled for entering the school wearing an EFF hat. Malema said the event being held outside the school was to send a message that the party would not tolerate racism in schools. He also referenced instances recently took place in Pumalanga where black and white parents had a scuffle outside a school in Vitbank following alleged racism incident. Notice everything's alleged. They have nothing here to claim this racism. 
Another incident took place in the Western Cape where a white teacher allegedly told students that black children had no role models and their parents were locked up in prison. There's all kinds of problems with that statement. Number one, if, if, if a white teacher is telling a student that, it's wildly out of place. It's not your place to have comments like that in school. You're there to educate, not pontificate. So if, in fact, a white teacher said that to black students or to white students, it's wrong. It's inappropriate. That's the first thing. Second thing is uh, all your parents are in prison. That's impossible. The South African criminal justice system is completely broken. Virtually no criminals are in prison. <laughs> Virtually nobody's in prison. The criminals and gangsters run freely on the streets for the most part in South Africa. So no role models. Well, you know, that one is less controversial. Who exactly are the role models that black South African children are supposed to look up to other than whites, Indians, and coloreds? Cyril Ramaphosa? Maybe Tokyo, Tokyo Sex Wally might be a uh, black role model to look up to. Sia Khaleesi? Okay. Referenza? There's a role model to look up to. But not many. So it's an unnecessary comment. But back to Julius Malema's point about racism. Really? So these alleged incidents you're using for political gain. Kind of like Brockenfell, in which you allege racism at a school in which the community is white and colored and the majority of the teachers are white and colored and you call that racism. And then you sent your thugs, your armed thugs, with pangas, golf clubs, and knob carries to intimidate high school students when you were only authorized by the judge to have 100 protesters. You had over 3,000, possibly as much as 5,000. Of course, you ran away like little, little biatches when the police put their water cannons on you. Yeah, you should look very closely and hard and long in the mirror there, Julius Malema, when you talk about racism. Virtually every position you take is race mercantilism. Everything you do perpetuates racial divide. Ramaphosa talks about Bantu education on Youth Day. And as I sarcastically said, um, he's talking about ANC education, but he's not. But he easily could be talking about ANC legislation or education. An education system in which students need only 30% passing mark to enter university for admission to university is a system that is completely broken. A system that has no electricity in schools, no flush abolition units where children die in pit latrines suffocating human feces is a school system, an education system that is worse than Bantu education. It's pathetic. And this is the ANC. Youth Day, Ramaphosa says Bantu education was no education at all. The elite, privileged, uber-wealthy Sir Ramaphosa sharing his views on how the poor and disadvantaged are suffering. President Ramaphosa says Bantu education system, which together with the imposition of Afrikaans as a language teaching in schools, sparked the June 76 student riots, was no education at all. On this day, 45 years ago, brave young women and men in Soweto and other parts of our country rose up against injustice unarmed and in their school uniforms. They came out in their numbers, shouting down with Afrikaans. They were taking a stand against a cruel and unjust system. They were rebelling against Bantu education, which despite its name was no education at all. It was another tool of the apartheid system to keep black South Africans in servitude. Well, that is interesting, and there is some merit to his statement, but it, it fails to recognize the fact that people like, like Dr. Tswele Mkisi managed to go through that Bantu education and post-secondary education at university and doctor medical school, become a doctor under apartheid in South Africa. So not an entirely accurate statement. It was not ideal. It was not right. It was unjust. But let's not just simply make a false claim there, Cyril Ramaphosa. But then you're good at false claims. What is the obsession with South African media over this shooting in Honolulu? 60 South Africans on average are murdered every day, often violently. We just saw a purported video of a man who was head of a construction company or a trucking company in Bloemfontein who was assassinated at his home. And people come into his garage with AK-47 shoot him dead. No outrage over that. The assassination of Nico Swart, a very popular business leader in KZN. Virtually no coverage of that.
Yet this obsession over an event that happened weeks ago in Honolulu. What is wrong with the South African media? Is this celebrity? Is this like the Cardassians? I think it is. Lindani Mjeni, very different story emerges as new video released of South African man's death in Hawaii. Frankly, I don't care about this story. Why is it being perpetuated? Of course, you might say, ironically, I'm perpetuating it. Well, it's because it is news. I'm mentioning it. Mieno's widow, Lindsay, had filed a wrongful death suit alleging police were motivated by racial discrimination. His widow is white. His children are mixed race. Racial discrimination. Well, when all else fails, pull out your race card. The final resting place of Robert Gabriel Mugabe is still up in the wind as family and, and political leaders fight over where Mugabe will rest. I can solve this for you. Dump his remains in a landfill. The fight for Mugabe's final resting place still rages on. It's been over a year, and the fight between the family of Zimbabwe's former president, Robert Mugabe, and President Emerson Mnangagwa has reached a new level over the final burial place of the deceased leader. Of course, they want him buried in the Hero's Acre. Relations between ZANU-PF and former President Mugabe's family went sour after the longtime ruler was toppled through a military coup. And now they're fighting where he's supposed to be buried. He is buried in... Uh, Kutama, Zimbabwe, but they want him buried at Heroes Acre outside Harare. More alleged corruption in KZN with the ANC. No, they would never be involved in corruption. No, not possible. Well, in fact, here we go. And this one's minor corruption, only 140,000 Rand. But here we go, alleged corruption. The wife of ANC KZN heavyweight, who is now MPL, implicated in 140,000 Rand tender fraud. Amanda Bonney is the wife of William Mapena, the former speaker of the Durban municipality and former ANC Durban deputy regional chairperson who was fired in August 2019 together with Zandile Gumeda. You may know her from corruption. That was when the ANC conducted an overhaul of the political leadership of the troubled council. Bonnie is now a member of the provincial legislature on the ticket of the ANC, and she started her work following the May 2019 provincial and national government elections. Before taking the political deployment, she was working as an integrated development plan manager in the department headed by Nkubo, who was fired on Monday. While she was working for the municipality, Bonnie was the Durban region chairperson of the ANC Youth League, and she resigned when the investigation started. Well, we're not going to go into that. More corruption in the ANC. It's a daily occurrence, folks. We just talk about it every day. Hysteria in Namibia as SWAPO imposes new lockdown restrictions on Namibians. Namibia imposes new coronavirus prevention restrictions as cases spike. Public gatherings in Namibia are now limited to 10 people and can be no longer than two hours in length if held indoors. Tuesday's decree is a move to stem the drastic increase in new infections, hospitalizations, and deaths in the country. All contact sports are banned. Face-to-face -face teaching schools will be suspended. Once again, the lack of science involved here, and I won't go into it, for fear of being fraudulently accused of something by the Putu. The new prevention measures will be in place until at least the end of June, said President King Gab, who, along himself and his wife, were both ill. The new sanitary measure restrictions are ideally to improve the situation in Namibia. It's seen the highest number of new cases per million people per day after the Seychelles. Now, the Seychelles is a country where the entire population has been vaccinated. How are they having all these cases? Interesting. Namibia, a country of 2.6 million people, has reported a total of 1,040 fatalities attributed to this pandemic in 18 months. The United States has blacklisted two former SWAPO ministerial officials, government officials, for their role in the fish rot scandal unfolding still in Namibia over a crooked deal with an Icelandic fish company. State Department announced in a statement on Tuesday that Bernard Esau, a former fisheries ministry resources minister, and Sakeas Shangala, a former minister of justice, were being barred from entry to the United States over their involvement in corrupt acts that undermined the rule of law and the Namibian public's faith in their government's democratic institutions and public processes. 
The two former ministers resigned from their post back in 2019 after being accused of receiving billion, millions in bribes to grant Samhaji, one of Iceland's largest fishing conglomerates, prefer preferential access to Namibia's fishing grounds. This was a result of a WikiLeaks investigation that revealed the document. Botswana has once again reimposed a poultry ban on South African poultry. They banned the importation of live poultry and poultry products from South Africa, which is not good since a lot of Botswana get their chicken from South Africa, and now they won't be able to do that. After an outbreak of avian influenza was detected in commercial farms and compartments in a number of provinces. The ban is effective immediately, according to government notice issued on Monday. It comes almost two months after they revised a similar sanction against South Africa. Just a week before that, Botswana banned the import of domesticated and wild birds from South Africa after the death of around 300 birds at a commercial chicken layer farm in Ikirileni, east of Johannesburg. They tested positive for an H5 strain. And this, this is really uh, concerning. You know, of course, the the government of South Africa sought to have a um, trade war with the United States over South uh, U.S poultry exports to South Africa, claiming it undermined the South African poultry industry. Well, clearly the South African poultry industry can't manage its own affairs with these avian flus breaking out there all the time. That's quite disturbing. Botswana and maybe have recently banned beef and uh, hooved animal imports as well as poultry. And here it is reimposed by Botswana. Botswana, Debswana, has uncovered the third largest diamond in history, ladies and gentlemen. 1,098 carat stone is the third largest ever found. It was on the 1st of June presented to President Masisi and is believed to be the third largest gem quality find in the world, says Debswana's managing director, Lynette Armstrong. The rare and extraordinary stone means so much in the context of diamonds in Botswana. It brings hope to the nation that is struggling. Well, I don't really know how it brings hope to the nation that's struggling. Nobody's going to get any money from this except the government and Debswana and De Beers. So how exactly does it bring hope to Botswana? That's a comical statement. It's the biggest stone of gem quality recovered in the history of Debswana. Of course, that's a joint venture between De Beers and the government of Botswana. Of course, the biggest diamond ever discovered in the world was the 3,106-carat Cullinan diamond found in South Africa just outside of Pretoria back in 1905. That stone has contributed to the British crown jewels. Yes, there you go. And the second largest was the Lacide La Rona, which is found in Carraway, a mine that's being handled by the Canadian company Lucara back in 2015. Congratulations to Deb Swan on this massive diamond find. Looking forward to see what happens with that diamond, what they do with it. Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abe has said that the elections will take place on June 21st. Despite the ongoing war in Tigray, which took place or began in November of 2020, we still see uh, elections purportedly taking place. How can they be elections if one of the provinces is embroiled in war? There won't be anybody voting there, will there? Ethiopia will show a skeptical world that it can be successful at holding a peaceful election next week, Prime Minister Abe Ahmed told a crowd of tens of thousands of supporters at his first and final campaign rally on Wednesday. The June 21st vote is the first time the 44-year-old will face voters at the ballot box in Africa's second most populous nation. He tweeted this week that the election will be the nation's first attempt at free and fair elections. The whole world is saying we will fight, but we will show them differently. He told a packed stadium in Jima. The forces that save the Ethiopia from collapsing will turn the Horn of Africa into Africa's power hub. Well, I'm not so sure that's true. Just over a fifth of the parliamentary constituencies that are not voting due to logistical problems, low-level violence, or due to the war in northern Tigray. Well, there you go. 20% of the people can't even vote. So how is a legitimate election to start with? In Malawi, a anti-plastics activist has had some success. Now, the, the analysis of this story will be that congratulations to her. She's won an award and she's had some success, but also she takes great pride in destroying jobs in Malawi. But let's talk about the real issue here. 
Malawi's landscape is clogged with plastic waste that could linger for 100 years. One woman has taken on plastic companies in one. Now, look at that. That is Gloria Majiga Kamoto in front of the Moody River in Blantyre. Look at all that plastic and other waste that's piled up there that's rushed down. That's disgusting. That's from February 21st. For more than five years, Ms. Komodo, a 30-year-old Malawian environmental activist, has waged a David versus Goliath battle against some of the country's largest plastic manufacturers to bring an end to single-use plastics. Together with other activists and civil society groups, she spearheaded a grassroots campaign that fought to pressure authorities into instituting a plastic ban in Malawi. After a protracted legal battle with plastic manufacturers, the Malawi Supreme Court upheld a national ban on the production, importation, distribution, and use of thin plastics in July 2019. This advocacy led to the shutting down of three plastic firms in 2020 by the Malawian government. And the result of her grassroots campaign, she was awarded the prestigious Goldman Environmental Prize for Africa, one of six global winners of the prestigious award announced Tuesday morning. Well, congratulations to her. An estimated 75,000 tons of plastic are produced in Malawi each year. A recent study found that at least 80% of those plastics are discarded after use. So congratulations to her for efforts. But um, does she not see the irony that she's destroyed jobs, shutting down three plastics manufacturing firms, industrial production in Malawi, a country that lacks much in the way of industrial production? Do the elected officials and Ms. Uh, Kamoto not realize that the reason that this is the image you see of trash in the Moody River is because of lazy, useless, ill-disciplined, poor cultural practices by Malawians, not the plastics firms that produce the plastic. All of that plastic should have wound up properly disposed of, but it's not. People just toss it out on the road, toss it out on the side. They're lazy, useless. And oh, by the way, I'm not singling out Malawians, the warm heart of Africa. I could walk out the door here and walk down on U.S. Route 15 here in Pennsylvania and dig up bags and bags and bags of refuse from lazy, shiftless turds who tossed their waste products out into our landscape. This is a homo sapien problem. It's not a corporate problem. If the plastic is disposed of properly, it's not an issue. When I lived in Tunisia, we called the plastic sack the national bird of Tunisia because everywhere you went in the country, the fields were littered with plastic bags because people were useless, absolutely useless. Start forcing people to have proper cultural practices and proper disposal instead of crapping in their own backyard. And don't take joy and give out words to people who destroy jobs. The plastic manufacturers in Malawi were not the problem. The Malawians are the problem. A military court in Uganda has released people who've been arrested and detained since January of this year in election violence. Uganda court grants bailed 18 supporters of opposition leader Bobby Wine. Uganda military court Monday released on bail 18 supporters of singer-turned-opposition leader Bobby Wine detained since the start of the year on charges lawyers and government critics say are politically motivated. And I'd have to concur with them. They are politically motivated, no doubt about it. In a surprising move, Kenya's government has announced that it's going to reopen its embassy in Mogadishu, in Somalia, a country for which it has very strained relations. Somalia's invitation to resume full diplomatic ties accepted by Kenya, marking a thaw in the often tense ties. Kenya says it will honor Somalia's invitation to restore diplomatic ties and reopen its embassy in Mogadishu, marking a thaw in the often tense relations between the two Horn of African neighbors. Ties between the countries were severed December 15th after Kenya hosted the leadership of Somaliland, a breakaway state not recognized by the central government in Mogadishu. And of course, here on Chris White Africa, we've talked to you many times about Somaliland, the unrecognized country by virtually the entire world, which successfully administered itself as a nation for nearly 30 years. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Ray Posh tournament to get the final two women's teams and one men's team to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. And it's taking place starting Friday, the 18th of June, 2021. The Ray Posh tournament. 
That's right. You can watch it live on the internet. And I'll make that link available for anybody that's interested if you want to watch it or simply go to worldrugby.com and you can find them. Let's take a look at the schedule and some of the teams that will be playing to qualify for those final slots. And here you go. Friday, you got two qualifiers, the men's one and two, Zimbabwe versus Mexico, Uganda versus Jamaica for Pool D&E. On Saturday, we have the men and women performing Samoa, Ireland, France, Hong Kong, Argentina, Russia, Kazakhstan, all of these countries trying to qualify. Tonga, Chile, all trying to qualify for the Olympics. Papua New Guinea, Tunisia, Colombia, Madagascar, lots of folks out there trying to get trying to get those final slots. Two women's teams and one men's team remain, ladies and gentlemen, for the qualifiers for the Olympics. And that's what we're waiting on now to happen. Well, I believe that's all the news I had for today, folks. Let's take a gander here really quickly. That's it. Yep. So that's the news and headlines from today. The 16th of June, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to Indaba African News of the Day, folks. Thanks for your patronage. We appreciate your support for the channel. And uh, we look forward to your continuing support.